First off, a very special thank you to Ellie and Jenny Abraham from Detroit for sponsoring this evening's shir. They're doing so in honor of a refuah shalema for Chaim Leibish Ben Sheva. Hashem, through the learning of Torah and all of the schusim of the family and friends, he should be zocha to have a refuah shalema bekarov. A special thank you as well to Torah Anytime for sharing this particular class and many others with uh, people who cannot be here this evening. And again, that's pretty much everybody. I'd like you, if possible, to put yourself in the mindset of someone who is so incredibly impoverished, so incredibly destitute, he has nothing. His family is looking to him to somehow support them, to bring home food. He has loans that are outstanding. He has people knocking at his door, yelling at him, threatening him. And he has no way, al-pi to pay back the money. So he considers for the first time ever in his life, maybe I should sell myself to a family and commit to be an evid, to be a servant to this mishpacha, to work for them for six years. It's something that I would have never have imagined growing up, thinking of all my possibilities, what I want to do when I grow up. I never thought I would be an Evid, but it comes to the point where I have no other option and therefore I make that choice and the rest of my life is impacted. For the next six years at least, I am now no longer in control over my time, over my schedule. I am a servant, hopefully, Mitzvah I'm with a family that has Rachmanis, they're compassionate, they take care of me, they respect me. They follow the guidelines of the Gemara and Kedushin that says if there's only one pillow in the house, I get it, I the Evid get the pillow and they have to sleep without it. But no matter how nice and how caring and how loving the family may be, I have chosen to lose my freedom because there is no other way to survive. When your brother is down, and he can't manage financially, and therefore he chooses to sell himself to you, to give up years of his life, to compromise on his avodas Hashem, because he's got to support his family. The Torah says, have Rachmanus on him, treat him with dignity. Don't ask him to do things that are beneath his kavod. And then when the Yovel year comes, and that could be in one of two scenarios, Either he's worked for you already for six years, and now he has the opportunity to go free, and he has enough money to pay back his chovos, and to finally start over again financially, he might choose to stay with you. Like we read in Parsha's Mishpatim, the Evid has the opportunity to say, I don't mind my present situation. I'm okay where I am. I'm comfortable. And therefore, you pierce his ear, and we'll explore that symbolism in a moment. And then he stays with you, la'olam. La'olam usually means forever, but in this context, we know the Gemara tells us, he's now with you until Yovel, until the Jubilee year. 
Torah over here tells us in Parshish Bahar that once Yovel comes, either because it's been many years past the sixth that he originally was going to be your servant, or maybe Yovel comes before the end of the six years, that would also set him free. The halacha is that no matter what you, the Adon, have in mind, or you, the Evid, have in mind, even if you're both mutually a fan of keeping the agreement, the Evid is happy, he's taken care of, you, the owner of the home, you feel like you're gaining tremendously from him and his efforts. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it doesn't make a difference. Once the Yovel is here, there is no longer an Eitzah, there is no longer an option to be an Evid. Because Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people, they're my Avadim. They're intended to serve me and not to serve another human being. And therefore, even though you may not like it, you the master of the house, and you the Evid may not appreciate going free at this point, out of your comfort zone, Ki you are my Avadim. You can't stay a servant to this person forever. There's a famous question that has been asked for generations. And I want to share with you the question, I want to explore the insider of Isaac Sher. The question is, when we pierce his ear, after six years, and he decides, I love where I am, and they're taking good care of me, and I'm safer here in this environment than going back onto the streets. So what's the point of giving him an earring? What is the symbolism? What are we accomplishing through going through the ceremony? So Rashi quotes the Gemara in Kedushin. This is the Rashi in Parshas Mishpatim. Imokar Atzmo, in a case where one sells himself, like Parshas Bahar is discussing, and he does so because he's so destitute, the message is as follows. Ozen Shishomal Har Sinai, the same ear that heard very clearly at Har Sinai, Kilibene Yisrael Levadim, that you, Yisrael, you're a vadim to me. V'holach v'kona adom la'atmo. And now you have the audacity to acquire a master for yourself, a master somebody else besides me. You know what? Take that ear that heard that you were my Evid and pierce it. That should be a message to you that your decision was misguided. So as of Isaac share. And this question, like we said, is mentioned by so many of the great Achronim. Why do we pierce his ear now, only six years later, that he chooses to stay with the family? If there's a problem about making yourself an Evid to anyone else besides the Kodesh Baruch Hu, then we would have assumed as soon as you make that choice, although it was very difficult, but as soon as you make that decision to now sell yourself to be somebody's servant, at that point in time, take him to the doorpost and pierce his ear. Didn't you understand, didn't you hear at Har Sinai that you're not supposed to be an evid to anybody else besides the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Why do we wait until after year six? Says of Isaac Sher, as human beings, we have an incredible ability to adapt. Whatever the circumstance may be, 
It might be shocking at first when we're thrown into a new reality. It might be strange and awkward, but eventually, once we do it day after day, this becomes my new norm. My expectations change. My perception of the world and myself change. I begin, although I may not like this new reality, I begin to become comfortable with this new reality. I've heard from so many, and I can relate to this myself. When we first started practicing social distancing, and we wouldn't go outside and speak to people, we wouldn't come to shul and daven together as a community, it was so incredibly weird to wake up in the morning and not go to shul. Mincha, marim, shachris. To not see people face to face, not to have real connections, real conversations. And all of those who know and love Yispoka, we know that we are not a cold and callous place. It's all about the, the hugging and the schmoozing and, and, and having time together. To now totally and radically change what you do and how you interact with everybody around you. It was so jarring. It was so jarring for the first couple of days. And then eventually we get into a routine. If you're a family with smaller kids and they're trying to figure out whatever their school schedule is, the Zoom is a hassle and the, the computers don't work and they don't have enough devices for the kids and everyone's complaining and kvetching and that never changes. But eventually you get into a routine and you find your way. And then you could fast forward two months later where we're waking up for Shachris and I have no plans to go to shul. It never even crosses my mind to take out my talis and tefillin and daven with a minion. That doesn't mean that we're on autopilot, by the way. And this is a very important point that I want to share parenthetically that I think many Rabbanim are making. Every day we do not daven with a minion that's based on a choice that we feel it's still not responsible to do so. It's not just now we're on autopilot and maybe we'll think about it again in a couple weeks from now. Every single day we have to reassess and, and, and engage in that conversation with peers, with colleagues, with people who know more than we do in the medical world. It's always a choice. But emotionally it's no longer surprising it's no longer disappointing from the standpoint of I assumed I would be davening with a minion, and now I'm not. This is our new life. Adaptation is natural to the human, just like everything else in the world. We get used to things. It could be the greatest bracha, it keeps our sanity, and on the other hand, it could be a klala, it could be a curse. We might lose inspiration, we might lose that feeling of yearning or desire to go back to a minion. We might appreciate many of the blessings that we're now experiencing or now being exposed to, having more time with the family or more time with ourselves. Explains with Isaac Sher, when you take that human being who was willing to sell himself, to lose his freedom, to lose his dignity, to lose his ability to make his own schedule and his own time and prioritize his life. When he made that devastating decision, it's because he had to. There was no other option in the world. HaKadosh Baruch was not going to say, take him to the doorpost 
and give him an earring. Didn't you hear what I said at Harsinai? Avadai heim, you're my servants. You can't blame the guy for making that decision. It's likely that was the right decision. It's pikuach nefesh. He had nothing else to do. But it explains with Isaac Sher. After six years, when the person chooses to stay there with his family, he's not really acquiring a master for himself. He still has some bechira, he has some freedom. And to the contrary, we assume that if he's in a nice Jewish home, they're taking care of him, and the Jewish mother is feeding him excessively. Va'ohavo, and he's loved, and they're good to him, and they respect him. So what do you want outside? What's better than what you have here? Aeneas Vidalis? You want to get back to poverty? You want to try to make it in the rat race of the outside world? It's likely you're going to leave this home of your security, and you're going to be the same person you were six years ago. You're going to get back into the wrong crowds. You're going to start making money in ways that you shouldn't be. So why take the chance? Here you have kavod, you have love, you have people that care about you, you have fresh food that's made for you. You have a pillow and a bed to sleep on. Why in the world would you choose to leave when everything is so comfortable? Then, explains of Isaac Sher, if you can't see past the comfort, if you don't have the ability to pierce through the fog of what seems to be the pleasant lifestyle and realize that this is not the ultimate way to serve Hashem, being under someone else's control in someone else's jurisdiction, not having the ability to arrange my schedule and my priorities, that can't be the, 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 the potential that I'm striving for. That can't be the Eved Hashem I know I can be. If you can't pierce through that, and you're intoxicated by the comfort and the warmth of your environment, then a Kaddish Baruch Hu says, pierce his ear. Send the message that you had every right to sell yourself when you needed to, but now that things are back on track, and now you're not as desperate, there's not the same urgency, for you now to make this decision again when you're of sound mind and body, to stay in Evid Olam all the way until Yovel, that's unacceptable. Avadai Heim, don't you realize you have a higher goal in life that you're compromising on? You're compromising on because you've adapted, you've adjusted, and you're comfortable. That's the message HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending to the Evid. That's the lesson that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending to all of us. Often in life, we have to make that decision. Am I staying on this path? Am I continuing with the life that I'm living? With my behavior, with my habits, with the way I speak, with how I daven? Am I doing so based on re-asking myself the question every day? What does a Kodesh Baruch Hu want from you? Or am I doing it based on the fact that it's comfortable, it's easy, it's something that feels good, and therefore why rock the boat? 
Let me just continue going gently down the stream. Why rock the boat? Ponovitcherov, we know that he sacrificed everything to build Torah. The Torah institutions, the yeshiva of Panovich, and so many other amazing accomplishments. He was Moser Nefesh. He gave his entire life to be able to create. He once said that I sacrificed the Panovich Gon for the Panovich Yeshiva. Meaning to say, I could have accomplished so much more in Torah. And when you read about the life and the, the brilliance of the Panovich he could have been one of the Gaone Hador, he was, but he could have been one of the Gedole Hador. But he said, I sacrifice that in order to build Torah. Rav Shach said of the Lavaya at the funeral for the Panabitcherov that we had a conversation one time and I was asking him, You have so many Chedushim in Torah, you have so many novel insights. Like an overflowing spring. You should write a sefer, you should publish these to be mahana, to, to bring pleasure and, and depth to the masses. And the Shach said that the Panovicharov answered him, I'm actually in the process of writing a book, but it's a different sefer than many others. It's a book of people's lives, the people that I'm building and introducing to a mitzias, to a reality of obsession with Torah. The people are my svarim. He felt that in order to really be makayim the Ratzon Hashem, to really fulfill the will of God in his own life, with his own talents, and his own techunos hanefesh, it was actually setting aside so much of his personal desires, so much of his spiritual desires, to be able to build yeshivas and help Klal Yisrael. Sometimes the path of comfort, the path that seems easy and smooth, is not always the path that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has in mind. I remember once hearing from Rav Asher Weiss Shlita, he told the story of visiting Auschwitz. He was going with a group of Hasidim and friends to Auschwitz, and uh, he asked his father, at the time his father was 80 years old, he was a survivor. He asked him, would you come along with us and join the group? And he was convinced his father would say no, but to his surprise, his father agreed. His father was sent to Auschwitz on the first day of Shavuos in 1945. Together with his father, his mother, and his five siblings, meaning the grandfather and grandmother of Usher Weiss, Immediately, his father and mother and four out of the five siblings were sent to the gas chambers and killed. His father, of Moshe Weiss, together with his brother, they were sent to the left. They were sent towards life. Turns out the barrack that Ramosha found himself in was one over from the Kleisenberger Rebbe. And when he heard about this, not having anybody else in his life he wanted more than anything to be close to the Klausenberger Rebbe. So in the middle of the night, he was able to switch places with somebody else. And in the morning, he went straight up to the Klausenberger Rebbe and he said, Rebbe, I came here to be with you. He never met him in his life. And the Rebbe assumed that this young man was 
trying to come under the shelter of his Kedusha for some, uh, some protection or safety. Klausenberger Rebbe said to Rebbe Moshe Weiss, I'm sorry, young man, but I can't help you. We're in the middle of Gehenim together. You're no safer with me than where you were before. And Rebbe Moshe Weiss said back, no, no, you can help me. We could learn Torah together. We could, we could, we could steig in learning. The Klausenberger Rebbe was very shocked by that. He said, the learning, the Bachar is going to learn in the middle of Auschwitz? And Rav Moshe Weiss, he was only about 17 years old at the time, but he said back, if we can't be involved with learning, so we're, we're not going to make it. Please allow me to, 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 to learn together with you. At that moment, the Klausenberger Rebbe gave young Moshe a hug, and really from that day on, they walked side by side as Yedidim, as good friends and builders of Klal Yisrael. And they were together for two years. They went from Birkenau to Warsaw, going to Warsaw together, cleaning up the rubble after the Warsaw uprising. From there they went to Dhaka, to Tutsi, to Merdov, all the way until eventually they were liberated together. They were in the DP camp, and the Klausenberger Rebbe, Although we know his story, that how he lost everything, everything that was dear and precious to him, he only had one thing on his mind, which was, what can we do for Kalal Yisrael? There were so many dead bodies, and there were so many people dying every day from starvation, from so much suffering. He said, we need to gather a chever, a chever Kedisha, to give these Yidin a kavura, to give these Jews a proper halachic burial. We can't let their bodies be lying out there in the field. Mila Hashem Eli, who will come with me and participate in this mitzvah rabbah? And Ramosha Weiss said, I'll be with you. And together, they were able to get an American jeep, and they went around picking up bodies, yomam v'layla, day and night, and giving them the proper burial. After their time at the DP camp, the Bigger Rebbe said to Ramosha, I want to give you a bracha. Elisha said, I want a bracha. I want a bracha, the Rebbe, please give me a bracha that my children should be Talmidei Chachamim. Just to pause for a moment to realize the mindset of the young Moshe Weiss, where his entire family has been stolen from him. He's experienced so much loss and so much torture, and his future is so incredibly uncertain. And now you have an opportunity to get a bracha from the Klausenberger Rebbe. You would ask for health, for parnasah, for a shidduch, to be able to have a, a family. The only thing that was on this young man's mind was, give me a blessing that my children should be Torah giants. They should be Talmidei Chachamim. And the Rebbe said back to Moshe, you should be Zohar, Karosh Baruch should bless you, that your children, your children should be Awesome Talmidei Chachamim, Me'irim Olam to bring light to the world through their Torah and through their insight. The fact that we have Asher Weiss being the child of Ramosha Weiss, it's clear to the entire world that the bracha of the Klausenberger Rebbe was indeed fulfilled in the most magnificent way. They worked together in Eretz Yisrael, building yeshivas, trying to to, to create the Klal Yisrael that was so incredibly destroyed prior. 
And after about two years, accomplishing a lot with Siyata Dishmaya, Rav Moshe Weiss went to his great Rebbe and he said, I think at this point, I'm going to call it quits. We've been doing so much and we have many things now almost functioning by themselves to some degree. I haven't opened a Gemara in more than two years. And Rav Asher Weiss says about his father that Rav Moshe Weiss was a tremendous Eloi. He was brilliant. I haven't opened a Gemara in more than two years, assuming he would find some level of empathy from the Klozen of Rebbe. Instead, though, his great Rebbe frowned, and he said, Ramosha, it's very noble of you to want to get back to learning more consistently, more in depth, but there's still so much to do for Klal Yisrael. Sitting on the side right now and opening a Gemara for you would be me'ein olam haba, that would be Gan Eden. That would be a lot more comfortable. But that's not the call of the hour, Moshe. Until now, we've experienced Mesiris HaGuf together. We've given our bodies, our physical existence for our brothers and sisters. But now it's time for Mesiris HaNefesh. Now, Moshe, your continued devotion and your continued passion to work on behalf of Kalal Yisrael means even at the expense of your own Ruchnius, even if that means sacrificing some of your Limud HaTorah, we need to continue building for Klal Yisrael. That was the message that the Klesenberger Rebbe said to Ramosha Weiss. So now 65 years later, Rav Asher Weiss relates that he was going back to Auschwitz with his father. And they got back to the train tracks, the very last place that Ramosha saw his father, his mother, and his other siblings. And he told his son, Rav Asher, for the first time, the words that his father told him. He said, Moshe, watch over your brothers. Moshe, watch over your brothers. And he was referring to Heshi and Yechiel, his two biological brothers. But explained to Rav Asher why he was also saying something so much more profound. Watch over your brothers and sisters of Kalal Yisrael. Be willing to be Moser HaGuf, but Moser HaNefesh, even if that means giving up your own spirituality to build others and to build Torah institutions. The plight of the Evid is one that it's very hard for us to relate to. And unfortunately, many of us are going through very difficult times financially, and Amir Tzashem will have a Yeshua, and all of the families who are suffering should have siyata deshmaya. But to really put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's willing to give up everything and to sell himself into slavery because he just can't manage, that's something that's hard to relate to. And that Hashem has no taina on. There's no complaint. I understand. I, I, I get it. I get it. You have to do this for yourself. You have to do this for your responsibilities and to your family. But once you've been there for six years, now you're choosing, based on sound mind and body, to continue being an Evid. That's a clear violation of Avadai Haim. You're my Avadim. You're not supposed to be anyone else's servant. You need to be focused solely on your Avodah Hashem. But it's not going to be as comfortable, perhaps. And it could be if I ask myself those honest questions, not just once in a while, but as often as possible. What does Hashem want from you? What does Hashem want from me? 
Just because I did this yesterday and it's more comfortable to continue in the same path in the future doesn't mean that's what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants for me right now. And just because I thought it a particular way a year ago or five years ago doesn't mean that now I'm, I'm not any more sophisticated. I could, I could understand things deeper. I could do things with more passion. I could dive in better. I could relate to people with more love and more compassion. Just because it's comfortable, it may not be the Ratzon Hashem. The message of piercing the ear of that particular Evid who chooses to stay until Yovel, and the lesson that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending all of us is that we always have this choice every day of our life. Let's try as hard as possible with Siyat Rishmaya to be able to, to delve in and be honest and to be open and to be vulnerable with ourselves and to always reiterate, Ma Hashem show me mach. What does Hashem want from me? And sometimes the answer might require sacrifice. It might require physical sacrifice and it might even require spiritual sacrifice. But I just want to do the Ratzon Habari.